Well, 2022, it is good to be with you this year again as every year. And as we have a, a fresh start to the year, you know I'm going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Like I think it's actually in a pastoral contract. Like if you're preaching the first Sunday of the year, that's your introduction. You have to talk about New Year's resolutions. Things that we want to be different in 2022, maybe behavior that we want to change. As Christians, it's our continual resolve, it should be our, our perennial resolve to glorify God, to enjoy Him together. That is our marching orders at all times. So in one sense, the new year doesn't matter. That's our, <clears throat> our eternal perennial resolution, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we do that by honoring God with our whole lives, right? There is no sacred and secular divide. All of our lives are live, lived quorum Deo, lived before God. And so therefore, all of our lives should glorify God. In other words, we should be godly. It's kind of a churchy word, but we should be godly. Our lives should be characterized by godliness. And how do we do that? Do we just start a list of all the bad and sinful habits that we have and then just white knuckle it? Just hold on and just try not to do those things and see how far we get in 2022. That's a bad plan. I'll just tell you that right now. And you see, the Bible tells us that following Christ, that being a Christian is not merely about external behavior. And believe me, external behavior is important. We shouldn't have lives that are characterized by sin. But the Bible tells us that that is not all that what ma is what matters, is external behavior. Because external behavior comes from somewhere. In today's passage, as Ron just read for us, Jesus tells us where that is. It comes from the heart. And we have much to glean from this passage. So again, in Matthew 15, it is good to be back in Matthew. If you're visiting with us, we just finished our Advent series where we were in Isaiah bouncing around for five weeks. And so it's been about six weeks, I guess, since we've been back in Matthew. And we're resuming right where we picked off at the end of, picked up, uh, picked up where we left off at the end of November. I got through that pretty good. It's, we're we're going to be okay. In November, if you can think back that far. We saw the backstory behind John the Baptist and his martyrdom. We saw Jesus miraculously feed thousands and thousands of people with a, a kid's lunch. We saw him interact time and time again with the Pharisees. We saw him walking on the water and commanding and stilling his creation as the great I am, as God in the flesh. Now we jump back in Matthew 15. With another inter interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Remember who the Pharisees and the scribes are. Right? We're going to change gears a little bit. We've been in Isaiah. We're coming back into Matthew. Scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. They were the experts of the law. They were the people that enforced the law. They were in charge of the worship at the temples. They were the people that were the religious leaders of that day. But they have also twisted God's law. They've twisted God's law to benefit themselves, and they have completely misinterpreted it in the process to the spiritual destruction of themselves and to those that hear. Let's look again in Matthew 15 and just set the table a little bit here. Look at the first two verses. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
And so we'll note that these scribes and Pharisees are coming from Jerusalem. So these are the big muckety-mucks. These are the guys that have come down from headquarters to see what is going on with this guy, Jesus. They've been sent to question him. They've been sent to investigate him or get dirt on him. And they ask right away, hey, uh, Jesus, so, so why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? You know that that is the tradition of the elders. They're not really talking about common COVID protocol or anything like that. They're talking about ceremonial hand washing, which is undoubtedly part of what's called the Mishnah. We have God's law, right, which is given to us in the scripture, and then we have the law, the Mishnah, which are hundreds and hundreds of other laws that the Pharisees and the scribes have written in addition to God's law. It started out innocently enough. They want to protect God's law. So they want everybody to be reverent before they come to God. Of course, that's great. But then also they'll make 142 million laws about washings and what that should look like and their interpretation of what, how we should be ceremonially pure in order to come to God. Once again, overextending the law of God to be more than the people could bear, adding layers over and above the law in their own misinterpretation of what God's law said, completely misrepresenting what God's law is to the people. If you go to Israel today, you'll see that ceremonial hand-washing actually continues today. Here's a picture of um, what's called a mishpat, which is used in Natalit Yarayim, which is a ceremonial hand-washing. These things are everywhere, especially in the holy sites. If you go maybe to the wall, you will see these everywhere. And the idea is, of course, before you would approach such a thing, a holy site such as the wall, you would definitely need to be ceremonially clean. You need to wash your hands. And they, they have two handles because there's some way that they would do that without cross-contaminating one hand or the other hand. These things are everywhere. So this, it's the continuation today of exactly what Jesus is running into here. The Pharisees, their additions to the purity laws of God and holding people responsible to. That's the whole beef right up right from the go. He says, why aren't your disciples doing this? Why aren't they following our laws? In short, that's just what it is. It's their laws. It's their tradition, the tradition of the elders. And they're trying to catch Jesus or his disciples as to why they aren't following the rules. And that's exactly the point that Jesus will make. They're your rules. Look at verse 3. He answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles your father and mother will surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. This is so good that Jesus... This is one of, this is like another classic Jesus mic drop moment here, right? Picture this scene. The big muckety mucks come down from Israel. People are everywhere watching this. They're, oh, this is about to get good because they're going to they're gonna try to trap Jesus. They're going to try to trick Jesus. 
they go at Jesus and his disciples right away saying, why aren't you following the tradition of the elders? All eyes then turn to Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, I don't know. Why are you breaking God's law for the sake of your tradition of the elders? And then the disciples must have been like, oh, here we go. Not again. Not these guys. Not, not, it's fine when you tangle with the local guys, but now, Jesus, you're going to start with the guys from Jerusalem? Really? This is not going to end well. Jesus begins to explain his, his accusation against them. He says, here's the clear commandment from Scripture. This is what I'm talking about, guys. He says, the commandment from Scripture says, honor your mother and your father. And he takes that directly from Exodus 20, verse 12, as part of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. To drive this point home further, Jesus says, anyone who reviles his mother and father will be put to death, which is right out of Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father and mother will be put to death, right? That's God's law. Straight up Moses, Exodus, Decalogue, there it is. That's God's law. So what Jesus knows is they're not doing that. How we treat our parents then, it's, it's important to remember, is very important. It's healthy to point out that this commandment doesn't have an expiration date. And so we are to honor our parents always, but how we honor our parents as a 40, 50, 60-year-old is, is a lot different than how we honor our parents when we're 4, 5, 7, 16, right? It, it just doesn't have an expiration date, but it looks differently, right? Teenagers still have to honor mom and dad. Sorry, don't yell at me. I'm just a mailman. That's what it says, okay? I still have to honor my mom and dad at years old, right? I still have to do that, but it looks differently, okay? If you will allow me a brief apologetic excursus, look at verse 4. Because Jesus comes back, and what he says, we can't miss this. I want to pick this out of here. It's sort of on the side, but super important. He says, Jesus says, for God commanded, honor your father and mother. I have no idea why the ESV nerds decided to translate the word for speak to command. Okay, I got it. Maybe it's from the law. Oh, fine. But, but CSB says said, which is, which is, I think, the better choice of translation from the Greek. It says, for God said, honor your father and mother. And here's my apologetic excursus, right? So who wrote the Bible? God or man? Because Jesus just said God did. Jesus didn't quote Moses. He didn't say Moses said this, church. He said God said this. He said it through Moses, just like he said everything else in his holy word. He said it through people, but he still said it. And so anytime that we're talking about the authority of Scripture, we've got to remember what Jesus himself thought about Scripture. And Jesus himself said that God wrote the Bible, that God wrote Scripture, that this are, these are God's words that Moses then wrote down. Okay, that was for free. Back to the main show, all right? So, so what they're doing here is they invented a, a way around this. Honor your mother and father. No problem. Got it. Let's try and think of a way we don't have to do that. Let's invent something called Korban, which is what Mark's account calls it in Mark chapter 7. Whereas you would say, well, mom and dad, see, the money that I was going to give you for groceries and rent, I gave to the temple. So, sorry. Guess you're on your own. I mean, don't get mad at me. I mean, I gave it to God. So that's dedicated to God, and that's more important, right? 
And so therefore, they can get out of honoring their father or mother because they're giving the money to the temple. They're giving it to God. Sorry, I'm not taking care of you. Jesus says, no, no. You are making void the word of God for your tradition. This is what you're doing. And you're going to come at me and my disciples for not washing my hands, which is also your tradition. And you're going to use your tradition to directly disobey a clear commandment of God. And Jesus is right to call them hypocrites. A hypocrite is an actor, someone who wears a mask, someone who plays a part. These guys are supposed to be the experts in what? God's law. Okay, well, clearly they don't know God's law because they're not doing God's law, but they've invented other ways that they think are God's law, which then makes void God's law. And he calls them hypocrites. Their hearts are not set on following God's law. Their hearts are set on themselves and their own traditions. And in the process, they are hypocritical. And then Jesus, if he goes further in the verse 7, he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. He says, hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah is talking about you guys. In Isaiah 29, 13, is what he quotes directly. He says, because people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. He says, there's a difference here. He says, I know your hearts, they're far from me. You look like you are obeying me. The people think you're all holy, but you're not. You're a hypocrite. And you, you've invented these empty traditions in order to make it look like you're holy. But in so doing, you're making void the word of God. So I'll put it this way. Empty traditions come from hypocritical hearts. Empty traditions come from hypocritical hearts. It's the number one complaint against us as Christians, right? We're hypocrites. And part of that's true. We're all hypocrites in some way, shape, or form, right? Because we all will sing these songs where we want to honor God with all of our lives and walk out that door and then sin, right? We all do it. We're all hypocrites to a certain, to a certain level. That's the nature of sin. We say Jesus is Lord, but then we don't act like it. The solution, of course, is the grace that he's given us in the cross. But then we're able to remember that, to turn, to repent, and say, no, that's not what I want to be like. I really want to be a follower of Jesus. And so we turn from that sin. We seek and receive the forgiveness that he won for us on the cross. Maybe we think of doing the, the churchy things that we do. Maybe you're here, and I don't want to be too hard on you, but I'll poke at you a little. If you're here and you're like, I, I better start it off right, man. I need God on my side in 2022, so I'll, I'll get to church. That'll make him happy with me. That'll just grease the skids a little bit with the big man upstairs. Maybe, maybe I'll throw some more money in the offering plate. Maybe I'll, I'll pray a little bit more. Maybe I'll start one of those chronological Bible reads that Pastor Mike's always telling me about. Right? Maybe I'll do all these things. Maybe I'll give money. Maybe I'll help others. But you know what? If your heart is not in it, Jesus says, it's no good. Don't bother. What Jesus is coming against here is, of course, it starts in personal hypocrisy, but it's real more of religious hypocrisy. There's been a whole system set up that isn't based on God's word. It's based on human tradition. That's what Jesus is saying. And therefore, it's empty and it's powerless. Isaiah, again, himself tells us what God reveres, what God esteems. Look, 
with me at Isaiah 66. It says, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Nothing, right? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this, watch this, this is the one to whom I will look. Other translations say, this is the one I will esteem. How? Who? He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. Does not tremble at human tradition. Does not do all of the things that you think will make God happy. God says, who will I look to? The one who is humble and gentle and contrite in heart and trembles at my word. That's why we're Highlands Bible Church. That's why we want you to read the Bible. That's why I preach from the Bible. That's why we have Bible studies and care groups and all of those things. It's all about God's word, and God knows that. That's, that's who, he, he, who he esteems, those who tremble at his word. Many of us, unfortunately, come from church backgrounds where we saw this empty tradition and this legalism in action. It was all based on appearances of piety. Maybe men had to wear suits. Women had to wear dresses with doilies on them or something. Hymns were, were sung with the organ because drums and guitars are clearly Satan's instruments and we can't have those around or anything like that, right? The list goes on and on and on of what, what the extra, extra layers of things that were put around church. Maybe some of us have experienced that. That's the essence of legalism. And one of the many things I love about Highlands Bible Church is we are not a legalistic church. I love that and I pray that we never are. This is Another difference between biblical Christianity, church, and every single other religion on the planet Earth. All religions have a list of rules that you are supposed to do, and then maybe, just maybe, the God that you are trying to worship will be happy with you. Possibly. If you wear the right things, eat the right things, say the right chants, go to the right pilgrimages, whatever, or don't do any of those other things, right? Jesus is saying, Biblical Christianity is completely the opposite. Roman Catholicism believes that the church is in authority over the word of God. And that's where the word of God came from. And its leader is infallible. Judaism is mired in endless rituals and ceremonies. The cults like Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons are based not on the word of God, but what? The words of men. They've been revealed the word of God. The cult of atheism, agnosticism, or humanism, or science worship all write their own rules. Human traditions that they hold on to like doctrine. Just like when Matthew translated the Septuagint, he says that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're teaching as doctrines, as doctrines. I love the churches that say we don't have doctrines, and then they have a doctrinal statement about how they don't have doctrines. It's like, no, that's... That's your doctrinal statement. You just hate doctrine for some reason. But you still have something you're saying as doctrine. All powerless to change. All empty traditions. Empty traditions come from hypocritical hearts seeking to appease their version of God with their own ideas, not the God of the Bible. The Pharisees teach if you keep their traditions like hand washings, you are purified in the sight of God and you're able to approach him. But is that really what God wants? Is that really true? How can we purify something on the outside and then be acceptable to God when he sees our hearts? Jesus continues to explain. Look at verse 10. 
back in Matthew 15. And he called the people to, to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So verse 11 is, is the apex, mo apex moment of this passage. This is the central problem that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Jesus calls the crowd. He's like, all right, everybody, bring it in. Here we go. We're all looking at me. Let's talk about it. So look, we aren't defiled by what goes inside us. We are defiled by what's already inside us. This turns everything again upside down. It's the complete opposite of the worldview that is being proclaimed by the Pharisees. It's the opposite of our own cultural worldview. A worldview that says what? We're basically good inside. That, that Pelagian, humanistic kind of worldview that says people are basically good. Jesus says, no, we're not. Inside, we are already defiled. The doctrine of total depravity, that we each, each of us are sinful from birth and we're separated from God. Therefore, who cares how many times you wash your hands? It's not going to matter because you are sinful from birth and you are separated from God. Jesus says, nope, that's not the way it is. We, are, we aren't made dirty by what happens on the outside. We're already impure by what's on the inside. It directly contradicts part of the Pharisees and the scribes and what they're teaching. And don't forget, that's all part of why Jesus came. We get, we get all tripped up in Jesus coming to seek and save the lost. Yes, awesome, heal people, be them, whatever, all of that, yes. But he also came to judge the Pharisees. He also came to tell them, you're done. This is it. New covenant, I'm here now, and judgment will come for you. The temple's gone, everything's over. That's what he's doing. This becomes obvious in the next two verses. Look at verse 12. The disciples came to him and said, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, oh, they were offended? I'm so sorry. No, he says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, they will both fall into the pit. <laughs> These guys, the disciples, again, getting nervous. Like, They heard you say that because you just nullified their entire lives. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> That's part of why I came, is to judge them for what they're doing. This is false teaching, he says. They're blind guides. He says, good if they heard me. They're about to come under God's judgment. Like plants, they're going to be torn up because God didn't plant them. They planted themselves. They're blind guides, and they're going to lead their followers into the same pit that they fall into. I think this meeting between Jesus and the Pharisees is going quite well. <laughs> the disciples must be like, this is just, ugh, this is not going not gonna to go well. Church, we have to realize that not only did Jesus come to seek and save the lost, but he also came to declare judgment on the false teachers. God is full of wrath towards the priests, towards the Pharisees, towards the scribes. Why? Because they're leading his people astray. He has a right to be full of wrath, and he has a right to judge them. So not only is he coming to provide salvation for his people, he's coming to judge the religious leaders who have completely misrepresented and misinterpreted his law. 
have to remember that. We'll see that when we get up into Matthew 24 and we get all eschatological in there. It's going to be crazy. But he's going to tell them, that's it. Your judgment is coming. And sneak peek to 70 AD when it actually happens and when the Roman army rolls through Jerusalem and burns it to the ground. Judgment. Remember where all this started with John the Baptist in the wilderness many, many weeks ago? The Pharisees showed up and John flips out on them. And what does he say? Brood of vipers? Snakes? Who told you guys to flee from the wrath to come? He knows exactly what's happening. The wrath is coming from the Pharisees. Judgment. He says, repent before it's too late. Repent of what? False teaching. Repent of leading them astray. Follow God in earnestness. Do your jobs. Teach God's law, not your law. Specifically, the false teaching saying that our hearts are clean, that they're good, that all God wants for us to do is clean ourselves a little bit up on the outside and then we can approach him just fine. Just keep washing. Just keep doing the traditions that we made up for you and God will be happy with you. Nonsense. It's actually worse than that. It's self-righteous. So I'll say it this way. False teaching comes from self-righteous hearts. False teaching comes from self-righteous hearts. Self-righteousness says this, I'm right, <laughs> I'm good, I'm okay, I, don't, I, I might need God's help a little bit, but overall, I got this thing, I, I'm pretty good. Some things never change, do they? False teachers are still preaching this same nonsense, we are basically good, we're the masters of our own destiny, you're God's kingdom kid, live your best life now, the world revolves around you, whatever it is, right? It's the subtle difference between a man-centered theology and a God-centered theology. One commentator puts it this way, as long as the thoughts of man are central in the church, the worship of man will be central in the church. Alternatively, as long as the truth of God is central in the church, the worship of God will be central in the church. I pray that the worship of God remains central at Highlands Bible Church, not the worship of man. Let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? I know it's, it's holidays. We got Omicron. We got all kinds of things going on, right? The goal of Christianity is to worship God, okay? The goal of Christianity is to worship and honor and glorify God, not us, not ourselves. The Pharisees then have built this whole system to honor and glorify who? Themselves. It's from a self-righteous heart. We are in God's world. We are executing God's plan. He's sovereign over it. We are just living in God's world. And that's the best life that we can possibly live as a servant of God. Some teachers want to make it seem like that's reversed. The goal of God is to glorify us and enjoy us forever. You ever hear those sermons that are man-centered, that are just all about you and fulfilling your dreams and your destinies, and God's going to be your co-pilot and help you do that? That's what Jesus is coming against right here. That's what he's saying is false teaching. That's what he's saying is judgment. Self-righteousness puts God in our service. And church... We are completely dependent on God for everything. I heard some groans when I said before that we were perfectly okay by ourselves. I heard them. I felt that because I feel like nobody knows that. Nobody, nobody actually believes that, I should say, because we know how dependent we are on God every moment of every day. Our existence, our sustenance, our very lives, and of course, our salvation, because that's where all this is pointing to. We can't purify ourselves. We've only succeeded in further sinning, making a mess. 
We need to be purified by someone where? Outside of ourselves to purify us. New year, fresh start, new year, new you. Maybe some of you are making half-hearted New Year's resolutions to drink less or eat less or work out more or show more kindness or whatever else you want to insert in there. Here's what I'll tell you. Start with a resolution to give yourself fully to dependence on God. To understand that He is everything in your life. To understand that He is not only Savior but Lord of your life. And give to Him everything, body and soul, through the loving, sovereign care of your heavenly Father. Do that first, and do that foremost, and do that as your highest priority. And then look at all the other ways. Because it's a funny thing that happens when you give yourself completely to Jesus Christ. He tends to change our hearts, and those other things tend to look a little differently. Don't put the cart before the horse. The old saying is true. We don't have to clean ourselves up in order to get to a point where God will accept us. It's impossible. We can't clean ourselves up. That's the point. God has to do it. He cleans us. It's false teaching to say that we need to worry about what the outside looks like when the inside is full of filth. It's a simple yet profoundly difficult concept to get into our heads, isn't it? For us in 2022, but also for the disciples, which is why they pull him aside and ask him what in the world he's talking about. Verse 15. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Good old Peter. You know the other guys were like, yo, yo, Pete, come here. Ask. What is he talking about? Because we still don't get it. And Jesus says, serious? You guys still don't get this? You guys still don't understand what I'm talking? And then he goes into a rather graphic human anatomy lesson about what happens to our food. He's like, look, you eat food, it gets, stuff happens in here, and then it comes out. In the Greek, it says comes out right into the toilet, right? I spared you that part, right? But that's what it says. That's the point. And Jesus is like, so then how could something defile you that does that? You eat it, you digest it, it's gone. It can't defile you. He says what really defiles you comes from within. What really defiles you comes from your heart. The Bible says elsewhere, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Right? The Bible says elsewhere that we're going to give an account for every careless word that we have spoken. Right? He says, what comes out of you? What is evil then inside you? This is what defiles you. Why? Because it comes from the heart. The heart, the concept in this first century Greco-Roman culture, right? The whole inner being. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your thoughts, what, your essence, what makes you, you. That's your heart. That's where that comes from. He drives this home by saying, here, look what comes out of the heart. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is what defiles a person. Jesus tells him it starts in the heart. Sin starts in the heart. Yes, of course, we can and do sin with our hands. We sin externally. But Jesus is saying that that external sin starts somewhere. 
and it comes from your heart. He brings it full circle at the end and says, but eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile anybody because sin comes from our heart. So I'll say it this way. Sinful actions come from sinful hearts. Sinful actions come from sinful hearts. The Bible is very clear about this. Quite famously in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Not a very popular verse on the prosperity gospel circuit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Sin comes from our hearts, which is why, Christians, we are not after just modifying our behavior. We're about heart change. Cleaning up our acts cannot purify our hearts. Oftentimes, as a pastor, I'm called to walk into the effects of someone's sin with them. It can be very ugly. Many times these are sexual sins, adultery, sexual immorality, someone addicted to pornography. Especially in those cases, my first stop is usually this passage. Because it's not just about stopping that destructive behavior. Because that behavior comes from somewhere. It's about transforming the heart. The sinful actions come from a sinful heart. The goal is heart transformation. Behavior modification is never the primary goal for a Christian. It's the same concept as the tree and the fruit. What you see growing on the tree has everything to do with the health of the tree, but the tree underneath it has roots. That's where all of that comes from, right? One author famously says you can't go around stapling fruit to a tree and say, oh, look, a lemon tree. Because what's going to happen? They're all going to die because they're not connected. Same thing. Those things, those thoughts, those sins, they come from within. They come from our heart. So it's not just changing the outward behavior. It's changing the heart. If you want to change the outward behavior, you have to change the inner heart. Spiritual speaking, spiritually speaking, rather, here's a weak New Year's resolution. Stop looking at pornography. Have more patience with my kids, or my boss. Stop overeating. Why are those weak New Year's resolutions for a Christian? Because they're targeting the wrong areas. They're targeting the outward things. And Jesus says, this is about the heart. He says, you want to change those things? Yes and amen to changing those things. We need to change those things. But don't just stop doing them. You have to change the heart in this. We have to target the heart. We have to fill our heart with Jesus and let the Holy Spirit change your desires. I mean, spiritual maturity is not only stopping the sinful behavior, but it's replacing it with the God-glorifying behavior that you know to be true. And so here's the big idea. Godly behavior comes from a transformed heart. Godly behavior comes from a transformed heart. Have you ever wondered why you do the things you do? Maybe you said something and you're like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I eat that? Why did I whatever, right? It comes from the heart. It comes from somewhere. You have to ask ourselves in that moment, you want to transform the heart? Ask your heart, why do you want that right now? Why do you want to look at that? Why do you want to eat more of that? Why do you want to whatever? Ask your heart, why? Because when we talk about heart, we're talking about desires. We're talking about the things... All of, our act, all of our outward actions are driven by some internal desire. We just got to figure out what that is. 
and let the Holy Spirit transform that. But if we just change the behavior, if I give you five steps of how not to overeat, that's not a sermon, right? It's a really bad plan. We fail. For a Christian, the goal of glorifying God, living a godly life, is we need to understand that godly behavior comes from a transformed heart. Many people are seeking transformation, especially at this time of year. But only Jesus can transform the heart. That's where we've got to get to. I, I can't do this without you, Lord. I can't defeat this sin. I can't change. I can't grow. I can't whatever unless you do it within me. You're the one who has to. And give yourselves, Christians, body and soul to God to do that. We just finished celebrating Advent and Christmas, the anticipation, the arrival of a Savior, but something that the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to for hundreds and hundreds of years before it came. But you know what? They were also looking forward to, like the prophet Ezekiel, looking forward to what that would bring. That would bring something necessary, something required. That would also bring heart transformation. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36 as we land this plane this morning, starting in verse 26. This is the prophecy of what will happen when the Messiah comes. He says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, watch this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall live in the land or dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. He says, you know what else is going to come with the Messiah? New hearts that he's going to give his followers. You know what else is going to come with the Messiah? The Holy Spirit to empower change, to empower obedience. And so again, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we think about the sacrifice on the cross and all that, yes, we should, amen, but there's so much more that came with that. Ezekiel says, hearts come with that. New hearts come with that. Transformed hearts. So the first step is to give yourself to Jesus Christ if you've not done that. And when you do that, you get a new heart. And that new heart starts to grow new desires, new things. We could probably go around the room and tell stories about all the stuff that we would rather be doing 25 years ago or whenever it was than sitting in church a couple days after New Year's Eve, right? But God grows new hearts. God grows new appetites. And he says, he will cause you, the Spirit will cause you to obey him. And all of those ways that you want to go. I don't want to keep losing it with my kids. The Holy Spirit will work within you to grow that within you, to change your heart so that you grow patient. All of those things, whatever the case may be, has to start in the heart. God created our hearts. He knows they are hypocritical. He knows they will invent empty traditions as a way to appease our guilty consciences. He knows they will promote false teaching that comes in the vein of self-righteousness. He knows what's in our hearts, and he knows that sinful actions come from sinful hearts. That's the problem. And so the solution is transform the heart. Give it to him to transform the heart. Fix the root of the problem, not just the outside. Godly behavior comes from a transformed heart. I'm sure that some of us do have New Year's resolutions. Some of them may be worthwhile. Let me encourage you, don't just target the outside behavior. Target the heart. How do we do that? Well, what you're doing right now is a great start. 
listening to the preaching of God's word. Sitting under his word being preached, church, read his word, meditate on his word, memorize his word, spend time in prayer, get in community with care groups and Bible studies and prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m. Discipleship relations. Submit yourself to Christ and ask him to transform your heart. Get serious about heart change in 2022 and see what God grows from a transformed heart. Father, this is a word that is easy for us to understand on one level and so hard for us to implement on another. Or maybe some of the problem is we just love our sin so much. We don't want to give it up. We pray, Lord, that we would trust you enough to obey you. We pray that you would bring heart transformation through all of the means that you offer us, Lord, in your word and through your spirit, which we have because of the work on the cross and your glorious resurrection. Be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.